Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Talk Talk. I'm your host, Emily Osam. It's been a while since I've recorded one of these podcasts, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about the format. One of the things I'd wanted to do when I started the podcast was to get different perspectives involved with the discussion. So that's exactly what I'm going to do today. I've invited three guests to join me today on the podcast to share their perspectives and ideas on the topic of bias and the different roles it might play in the pursuit of knowledge. They're all quite knowledgeable in their respective disciplines, thus I'm looking forward to what they have to say about this question. Here with me today are Dr. Rachel Ozer, a research scientist and teacher, Mr. David Fennick, a physics, mathematics, and engineering teacher, and Mr. Kevin Hoy, an English and fellow TOK teacher. The topic for today's podcast is bias, and it's focused on this year's prompt of the essay title six. Avoiding bias seems a commendable goal, but this fails to recognize the positive role that bias can play in the pursuit of knowledge. Some questions that I initially had were, why might avoiding bias be a commendable goal in different disciplines? What are some of the measures that are taken to avoid these biases? The title also seems to be implying that it's not possible to avoid bias, and I wondered if my guests agreed. Are some biases therefore fundamental, and in what ways, if so? Finally, I asked them to discuss some of the positive roles it might play in the pursuit of knowledge in their respective disciplines. I'm very much looking forward to hearing what they have to say, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, so one of the things I thought I'd start by mentioning is just the definitions of bias. Yeah, that's so, an interesting one. Yeah, and it has, depending on which definition I looked at, there's either a really negative connotation built into the def- definition itself yeah. or not so much. So, yeah. um, I mean, I was actually thinking about that myself. I was thinking, well, in, in science or engineering, is bias just like assumptions or preconditions? So, like, if, for example... If I was going to do something to do with mechanics, I might presume that I'm going to use Newton's laws and presume that I would need like springs and force meters and, and light gates and things like that. And I would presume that why would I want a voltmeter and an ammeter? So, but is, is, that, is, that, is that actually bias? I'm not sure that that's actually bias in science. I feel like it could be. I mean, it's a framework of which you approach something. It's a tendency towards something, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's more of a paradigm, though, isn't it, than a, yeah. than a bias? And I'm not sure. I guess we need to think a little bit about that. Is a bias the same thing as the paradigm? Um, just a simple Wikipedia definition yeah. is that it's a disproportionate weight in favor or against an idea or a thing. Yeah. And that it usually is like a way that um, is close-minded or prejudicial or unfair. Yeah. So that we can see those three words, prejudicial, unfair, close-minded, we would definitely want to avoid that. I well, think that's... I mean, I've just seen an example. On the, uh, on the way into work this morning, I was listening to something and there's a the times actually the uk times just re, uh, reported that it takes i can't remember the exact figure but something like fifty thousand miles before you break even on the carbon footprint of an ev compared oh. to an ice vehicle and looking into it if you actually look into it and you have to look quite hard it was commissioned by existing legacy automakers and the person who did the did the research was a senior member of Aston Martin who produced some of the most polluting cars in the world um, and they've just abandoned their program for EV production and so you know 
the engineers are looking for an answer and unfortunately the times report it as fact it's a fact so mm. you know are the times biased or are they just not doing due diligence on something like that mm. that's that sort of confirmation bias like we're mm. seeking yeah. what we f- we're finding what we seek to yeah. find well we're funding it we're funding, we're yeah. funding the research to well, find the answer that we want yeah I mean that's a certain kind of bias isn't it mm. where we have a, a stake in the outcome yeah um, a lot like those like Pepsi and Coke studies or like mm-hmm. nicotine studies to yeah. find that actually smoking causes doesn't no help. cancer, no problem, no, totally healthy. Absolutely, completely healthy. Yeah. I mean, there are other times when I, uh, um, I'm a, uh, a Tesla fan and an Elon mm-hmm. Musk fan and a SpaceX fan and scientists, well, engineers, presumed that you can't land a rocket and therefore you have to spend hundreds and hundreds, literally hundreds of millions, because that is what I used to do, um, building rockets, and then you launch a satellite, and then you throw it away, and then you design and build a new one. Um, And Elon Musk decided that that was a really, really rubbish idea. But science and engineering up to that point had presumed that it's not possible to land a rocket, and now, I mean, he's landed uh, 40 rockets this year already, 40. And so instead of... Basically, you refuel it and refurbish it, but the scientific community, the engineering community, and people who are invested, like Boeing, Lockheed Martin, NASA, European Space Agency, the Chinese Space Agency, the Russian Space Agency, were all invested in not landing rockets because you're going to have to keep making new ones, and that's good, isn't it? Yeah, so it's that sort of like cognitive bias where it's like we have patterns and... Um, we see those patterns and therefore we believe that must, those, be, the that must be the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I can see that as a sort of bias. Um, I like Cambridge's definition I found online. It was really simple. It was just a preference or towards or against a particular thing. Okay. And that feels like a really workable definition. Like it's a preference towards something or against something. Um, and I think a preference towards a particular way of seeing the world Mm-hmm. or a framework or a lens. And I think about that in terms of art and critical theories about literature. It's a way of like unpacking and analyzing, right? Yeah. We can take a particular approach, very much like in a scientific approach. <laughs> literally just not my forte. I mean, I have to get back to actually really engineering rather than science. Another bias, or well, perhaps not the right word, is you can't possibly make a car that runs on torch batteries, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And now Tesla are making cars that run very, very successfully mm. that run on torch batteries. The auto industry was, there may be a better word, biased against this technology. And indeed, General Motors released the EV1, which was an extremely successful car, and they paid people, took them back and destroyed them all mm. because it was going to damage well i believe because it was going to damage their model that you know we can go in and presume that we can make a car a little bit better this year and a little bit better the next year Mm. and a little bit better the next year and if we all just make them a little bit better by presuming (laughs) that this is the best way to do it then we're fine and we all stay in the job and we all stay really profitable but if someone comes in and starts from fundamental principles saying this is a really rubbish idea uh, technically, it's a really rubbish idea for the world. I don't have that uh, bias. I don't go in there expecting to have to burn fossil fuels to make a cargo. I'm going to make it. I'm going to power it out with uh, torch batteries, mm. and that 
changes. Uh, incrementally, cars got better and better and better and better, and so you make scientific progress. But if you're going to make a, a massive, you just talked about paradigm shift, if you're going to make a massive jump, perhaps you have to throw away your mm. engineering background and decide, no, we're going to start from fundamental principles. And Elon Musk is always talking about fundamental principles. It's, you know, start from a blank piece of paper. Why does a car have to have an engine that runs on petrol mm. or diesel? And so not going in with preconditions or expecting to to just do the same as we've done before mm. again i mean i know it's i know it's it's it's, it's easier to talk about bias in literature and politics and uh, journalism etc than it is engineering but i think in engineering bias could just be you're trying to do something the same or you've got a vested interest in doing something the same the mm. same way as it's always been done yeah I think that's it. The vested interest is really the bias. It's not so much that you believe <laughs> it could be. Like, it's not actually your mental mm. awareness of what could or could not be. It's the outcome mm. and the stake that you have in that the outcome. Stake. General Motors withdrew all the EV ones and destroyed them. Yeah. They paid people to take them back and destroy them because it would potentially disrupt the whole of their, their business model. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. So this sort of seems like an, a good answer to like the question about why might avoiding bias be a commendable goal? And one of those might be so that we can actually find good solutions, mm -hmm. um, especially in engineering. Yeah. It isn't possible to avoid bias, and therefore they're somewhat fundamental. Um. I think, I think, well, I mean, I'm going to use the word bias with, for myself now. You know, I am biased in, in what I'm saying here now because I'm a Tesla shareholder. So oh, I'm, so I'm, nice. So, I'm, so yeah. I'm, good, good call. <laughs> I bought my shares at $9. <laughs> That's a good effort. That's crazy. I'm definitely biased toward yeah, right. So, so, so I, I mean, I, I come in here and <laughs> and immediately I've got a context, yeah. uh, and immediately I've got a bias, and I, and I think Elon Musk is the best thing since sliced bread, and I'm biased, and I, I and I'm presenting his scientific view of or the way of uh, the way he does things. I mean, he's actually a physicist, yeah. and he all if you see him interviewed, he's always saying, "Go, I'm a physicist. Go back to first principles physics and start with a clean sheet mm. of paper and start again." But but I am just biased. <laughs> you know, I am. I'm sitting here giving you a biased opinion, but you know, I'm not doubting for a second that the massive amount of scientific progress has been made incrementally over time. Because you don't start looking for a needle in a haystack. You know, you you go in yeah. expecting to find yeah. something, uh, and so you mm. look kind of in the right place, mm. or at least what you think is the right place. I mean, do, doing IAs with DP students is, is really interesting, because you know. <laughs> they will do their IA and they will, they, we ask them to, you know, they have to have a hypothesis, I'm going to try and prove this. And then they get their IA, they get the data, they plot the graph and it's like, oh, disaster. I've done the experiment wrong. <laughs> you know, it's my, my data didn't work because yeah. I didn't prove what I expected to prove. The response is, I've got it wrong. I have to do it again till I prove what I'm expected to prove. You know, this physics textbook says that this is what you're going to get. Mm. I did it and I didn't get it. So my experiment must be wrong mm. rather than perhaps the physics is wrong or perhaps the physics is an oversimplification or perhaps we need to look into this further or perhaps the physics applies within a certain range 
and with certain conditions, but I didn't control those conditions well. I want to go back to what you're talking about, about the needle in a haystack. We don't start Mm. by looking at that. Because I see that as potentially an answer to the question, what positive role Mm. might bias play in the pursuit of knowledge? So knowing what we want to find, seeking to find what we think exists or what we think we know. Coronavirus, you know. A number of companies all over the world were thinking, we can we can manipulate the RNA. Previous experience says that, you know, it is DNA-related. And if you're looking in the right place, and all over the world, people are looking at the right place to fix this. And now we've got maybe three three Chinese vaccines, a couple of them in the US, one in the UK. They're actually starting to roll out the vaccine in the UK today, I believe. Uh, but they all started thinking, if we manipulate our, the, the DNA, or the, well, part of it, which is the RNA, then this is probably a good place to look. Mm. But they started with, you know, yeah. a, a starting point. That was a starting point. So is that framing bias, like mm. just having a frame to work with. It's a mm. filter of sorts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a filter, yeah. yeah. It's a place to start. That makes sense. So yeah. that definitely would, in your opinion, would be a positive role. Yeah, that bias otherwise, I mean, where, where would you start to create the vaccine? Yeah. Hmm. Really nice. Okay. Because I think most of the time when people think of bias, um, they're thinking of like the negative impacts such as like racism, classism, mm-hmm. sexism, lookism, all of these kinds of negative lenses that yeah. we use. And that probably does make sense in many ways. But the type of bias that we're talking about is that, that frame or lens. I think it perhaps is just a fundamental part of who we are that we have a lens to begin with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And thus is like, not only is it, it's, it's foundational, mm-hmm. um, but then within the areas of knowledge, so within um, engineering or physics, like we're talking about right now, that um, framework of knowing, we just assume we go to Newton's laws. Mm. We just assume that's the, that's the framework, that's the lens that we're working within. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it can help. And it can also it can also get in the way. Certainly now, teams of people potentially working all over the world in collaboration with a starting point and a focus, and things go forward slowly. But uh, if you do something radically different, uh, which is which is my biased uh, fanboy of Elon Musk, (laughs) is no, we're not going to assume anything. We are not going to assume a single thing. We and uh, it's hard to assume nothing, but with blank canvas approach can lead to, I, I think, more dramatic changes, mm. more world-changing events. I mean, I, I believe that the vast majority of, of new automobiles will be electric in 10 years from now. I believe they'll be self-driving as well. Yeah. Um, but if you think something can't be done because of your bias, you don't even try. Yeah. It's interesting because I think, on one hand, we need a framework, we need a lens mm-hmm. of which to, to see and understand the world and ask the right kinds of questions about the world. But at the same time, we have key thinkers like Elon Musk that they seem to be throwing out those kinds of biases. Or perhaps just creating a new set of frameworks for us to work around. Uh, It's it's a very unusual thing, and it's a very, very brave thing, and it's a very 
in some ways dangerous thing and it's likely to mm. fail <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because uh, you're not looking in the right ballpark. I mean, you are potentially looking for a needle in a haystack that you don't find because actually it's in a different haystack in another field. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's definitely a, a risky approach. I, I'm struggling, but I am biased. I'm struggling to think of, of another person in the 20th century who... I think I think in 20 years from now we'll look back and Elon Musk will be mentioned in the same breath as like um, Einstein. Yeah. <laughs> Not that he's a theoretical physicist, but he's just like everybody knows mm. that he, he he made a difference. Mm. Uh, I, I just think he he or Newton, you know, they are they are going to be that important mm. uh, to the world because they try and resist what we all do all the time every day which is have a lens we look through mm. uh, based on you know our upbringing and our experiences and we dis- we we are looking for things in every situation we are mm. looking for it whether it's a scientific situation or a social situation we expect to see things and we behave well because we know we should behave well mm. um, and, we, and we know that any bias is wrong but it doesn't necessarily mean we don't feel that and just say this is in, and self-regulate you know I am biased about this I am going to stop doing that yeah. um, but some people don't have that off switch and they are racist or sexist yeah. or homophobic or, or whatever you say mm. but I, I think I think if we're honest with ourselves we all have a have bias in us um, or you know, perhaps I mean, he, he, when I was younger, like decades and decades ago, it wasn't nearly as politically unacceptable to be homophobic, for example. Mm. And it might be an age thing, you know, teenage boys and things like that. But now, it would be really weird if some if I heard one of our students saying something that was homophobic. Sure. When I was at school, it was perfectly normal. Yeah, and it, different... and it, it, just, it didn't have that same sort of taboo to be biased. Mm. But I, th- I think people have learned that, you know, bias is, is a bad thing. It's a really bad thing for society. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that is something we're, we're moving more towards is trying to become more and more aware of our biases mm. and trying to find ways of avoiding them. Mm-hmm. But I do agree that there are these positive roles that bias play. And I think that we've really touched on that idea that the framework... Um, that it provides, that any particular kind of bias may provide. I I would even argue with you that Elon Musk doesn't have his own... He must um, have some. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, of course, not in the bias in the sense of, like, racism, sexism, but in the sense of how he's approaching the questions that he's asking. Mm -hmm. He's just not using the regular or the common or the the current paradigm. He's, He's seeking... He's looking through his own sort of lens, I think. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Mm. And in fact, Elon Musk is an example of someone who does try a lot of different things. He invests heaps of money Mm. into lots of different projects. They don't all all work. The boring company. Yeah. (laughs) Tons of things. Yeah, they don't all work. No. So I think there, there is that, like, risk that's required in that sort of development. Sorry for interrupting. We went on like this talking about Elon Musk and the future of AI for a good long while after this. But returning back to the question about bias and the positive role that it might play in other areas, I then had a conversation with Mr. Hoy and Dr. Ozer, and here's that conversation. We were talking about the the definition of bias. Oxford English Dictionary provides 
a disproportionate weight in favor or against something, usually with a way that is close-minded or prejudicial or unfair, has a negative, negative connotation. connotation. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, both Wikipedia and Oxford had that. Um, the Cambridge definition was just simply preference toward or against a particular thing or idea. Mm -hmm. Which um, I like better. <laughs> yeah, I think that one provides a little bit more of um, room for discussion, mm -hmm. actually. Especially in this question, right? Right. Yeah. So going with that, what do we have here? We have... English. Sciences. Okay, from the perspectives of perhaps literature. Mm -hmm. So one idea that occurs to me, I, I think there's one general idea that could probably be applied to all subjects, which is the, the idea of sort of motivation and focus, right? Um, uh, and if you're kind of biased towards something, or you replace the word bias with you're inclined towards something, right? Mm -hmm. If you're inclined towards studying a particular idea, um, then, then you're going to uh, spend time researching that, devote your energy to it, collect resources surrounding it, and that's going to perhaps help you make progress in that particular area, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's probably true across all subjects, um, so maybe we can come back to that later. But what I want to talk about in English in particular is that an inclination to a particular idea can sometimes be really useful in highlighting aspects of the text that aren't uh, noticed initially or originally or have been neglected, right? Um, so in the 20th century, really, there's lots of different critical movements in, in, in the study of literature where we look at text from a feminist perspective, we look at text from a Marxist perspective, we look at text from an eco-critical perspective, um, all of these various post-colonial perspectives, all of these different perspectives, which are in some ways an inclination um, or a bias towards a particular idea. So, you know, for 400 years, right, we've been studying the plays of Shakespeare. And we, we look at Romeo and Juliet. And, and what's Romeo and Juliet about? Well, it's about a love story about two young people who, um, you know, uh, can't be together because of the tensions between their families. Like at, a, at an obvious or a sort of superficial level, or what we might call the dominant, the level of the dominant reading, that's what this story is about, right? And it's not until we adopt a kind of a bias or an inclination or what we might call a, a critical lens that we can begin to say, okay, well, I know the story's about these two lovers and they kill themselves, right? And that's tragic. But um, what does it tell us about women, for example? Like, what role do the women play in the text, right? They're sort of uh, relegated to the role of nurses or housemaids. Juliet's mother doesn't have much of a say in her relationship with her father. Juliet herself doesn't have much of a say over who she's going to marry. So when we approach the text from a particular bias, uh, inclination or perspective, then we can notice things that perhaps didn't jump out to us at, at, at the start, right? Mm, for yeah. instance, the, the, the feminist one, I think, is, is something that many of us are happy with. But what about looking at it from a Marxist perspective, where we look at the role of wealth? And class and power, right? What do we notice about the, the servants in the text? Okay, the fact that they hardly appear, that they don't have speaking roles, all of those things. Even more so, from a sustainability perspective, um, an eco-critical lens isn't something that we would have thought about at all, really, until the last 20 or 30 years, right? What role does the environment play in uh, a text like Romeo and Juliet? And the answer, in some ways, is almost none, Nothing. right? Because the environment <laughs> is just the stage that we have on which to play out the important drama, which is the human action, right? Mm. And, and I think one of the huge um, uh, beneficial effects that adopting a bias, or in this case, like an inclination towards a, a particular idea, uh, can have is that it can open up other aspects mm. of the text, right? The things that you don't notice when you read through it the first time. So. Uh, when I'm talking about critical theory in my classes, sometimes I talk about putting on a particular set of lenses, putting on a particular pair of glasses that's going to enable you to identify X or Y aspect of a text. Mm. Forget all the rest of it. What does it tell you about women? Forget all the rest of it. What does it tell you about the poor? Forget all the rest of it. What does it tell you about the environment? Right? That kind of bias and that inclination is going to encourage you to interrogate mm. the text 
from so that it's more, particular It's more methodical, direction. right? Like you're just yeah. controlling all the other variables, yeah. if you want to say, and looking yeah. at it through that one lens. Yeah. Hmm. And so I think that's a really interesting thing that occurs to me when I read this question. You know, this is one of the commendable things. You know, <laughs> you could say you're biased because you're only interested in, in women in the text. You're only interested in the poor. You're only interested in the environment. Or men, or the rich, or, or whatever, right? Um, and that's a kind of a bias that you have. But because you focus on this particular detail, you're going to be able to unpack that text mm. in many ways. And feminist critics, for example, have showed how many of our texts are deeply misogynistic and patriarchal in the roles that they give to women. Mm. Post-colonial critics have sort of revealed the way in which you know, uh, people from colonized countries are depicted in certain ways, uh, often kind of darker, blacker, more benighted, less developed, okay? Mm. Um, primitive, right? Mm. Uh, and, and I think our focus in that way gives us an interesting angle. I really like it. It's very much like what David was talking about in engineering or in science. You're not going to go searching for a needle in a haystack. Mm. You've got to know what you're looking for. Um, but I think this also implies that you're conscious of it. Yeah. There's a need to be conscious of the bias in order for it to have that positive role. Mm-hmm. Where it's well, unconscious or we're not aware of it, it's perhaps then not playing that positive role. Do you think that's a fair... Yeah, that's Perhaps a really weird. interesting definition. I feel like so far what um, Mr. Hoy has been saying um, is following the Cambridge definition, right? Just having a preference, mm-hmm. right? One way or the other. But um, I'm going to say you're biased about the word bias because <laughs> you, you come from the humanities side, okay, right. right? And I think that from the science side, as soon as you hear the word bias, it's bad, yeah. right? But obviously, what Mr. Fennick also brought up, I think we can go through a couple of examples in that way. But I really like your distinction between being conscious about it or mm. sort of subconscious, right? And yeah. I think when you're conscious about it, you're more in control of your thoughts, mm. right? So then you can examine it in mm. a more fair way, right? Because one of the other definitions was talking about having an unfair yeah. bias, right? Right. So. Yeah. Which I think then raises a really interesting sort of sub-question, which is, well, then are there any examples of unconscious bias which still have a positive impact on the production of knowledge, right? I liked um, the way that you were talking about bias as like a frame, Mm. a framework or a lens. We have also the word paradigm, Mm -hmm. which could also be another way of understanding bias, perhaps. It's the lens through which like a larger sort of bias... um, a particular area is approaching its problems or its questions. So I like that idea, this idea of a paradigm, yeah. because mm. because I think in some ways, and again, correct me, yeah. the scientist in the room, right? But sort of data doesn't just make sense by itself, mm. right? You need a frame, framework through which to, to look at that data. You need a framework to process that data. You know, we can collect data about, about a whole manner and range of things in the world, but unless we are used to thinking about that, that those things in terms of, for example, forces and... Uh, masses, uh, and, and these are the two major frameworks that we use to break things down in, then we're not going to be able to make sense of that data in, in the right way. Or if we used a different framework, mm. we might make sense of that data in, in a different way. Mm. Um, so uh, this is probably a terrible oversimplification, but you know, if we go back to sort of Aristotelian times when they think about elements that make up the various different uh, things in the, in, the, in, the, in the earth, right? Why do flames rise? Well, flames rise because they've got a heat element in them, and that wants to go up because then it's nearer to the sun, right? Why uh, you know, heavy things fall, or they've got an earth element in them, so they, they pull down. So, you know, when you've got that framework, it does make so I much like sense, right? Yeah, yeah. When you've got that paradigm, <laughs> that framework, that 
that, that shapes the way you interpret data. What do I notice? Flames go up. What do I notice? Rocks fall. Mm. How do I interpret that data? How do I make that data mean something? Mm. It's through the framework that I use. And, and to some degree, and this is where the paradigms are interesting, like Kryn, when you read him, he, he, he doesn't... We often talk about paradigm changes as a example of progress. We used to believe this, the paradigm changed, now we believe this, this one's more accurate. But Kuhn doesn't really talk about it in that way. He's quite ambivalent, in fact, uh, about the difference between one paradigm and the other. And if you look at the, the, the famous allusion that he used to ex exemplify it, the duck, which either looks like a rabbit or a duck, depending mm -hmm. on which way around you look at it, the thing about that example is that neither one is better. It's a rabbit when you look at it a certain way mm -hmm. and a duck when you look at it in the other way. But it isn't really a rabbit or really a duck. And so what Kuhn kind of says about paradigms is that, you know, they're a way that you have of making sense of the world and the data. Uh, and it seems in science that we make progress from one to the other. But really, within a paradigm, that's one way of making sense of the data. Mm. And it's valid. And in another paradigm, there's another way of making sense of data. And so which paradigm you believe is really just a question of bias. Well, mm. as long as that it doesn't harm anyone, right? So if... I think, you know, if you're looking at the rabbit, you yeah. know, or you're looking at the other one and, and the rabbits feel badly, yeah. right? Because you're yeah. pointing them out, yeah. right? So I think if it, if it harms somebody in a negative way, yeah. then it does make a difference. Yeah. But I want to go back, if it's okay. Yes, please. Um, because you asked how, um, why bias is commendable to avoid, right, in your yeah. area of discipline. So you were talking about data, so I just wanted to jump mm. on that aspect. So obviously, um, in science, we always talk about how data is objective and data tells the story mm -hmm. and just the facts, mm -hmm. right? Of course, that's, you know, the ideal we're trying to get to, right? And how we, um, we spoke about, you know, controlling variables before, mm. right? So in any experiment, you're trying to eliminate bias by trying to control those variables, right? And methodically consider each factor. Also things like any experiments that involve humans, things like uh, blind studies or double blind studies, right? Trying to remove the uh, bias of the researcher, right? However, um, the other question you brought up is, is it possible ever to completely eliminate that bias, mm. right? And I still think, as we were mentioning with data, it's not possible, you know, as long as humans are involved, when you talk about even in physics, right, quantum physics, you know, and the old cat in the box experiment, mm. right? As long as humans are involved in some way, there is going to be bias, right? Even if you're using machine learning, right, and you're talking about, you know, artificial intelligence for something, well, who's actually designing the algorithm and who's deciding mm -hmm. which data to take out and who's deciding which data to present to then move to how bias can be something positive, um, perhaps, is you mentioned paradigms and paradigm shifts. So one, obviously, it, unconscious bias can be positive just in, I think, being an agent for change, mm, uh, bringing yeah. about an awareness of unconscious bias, right? And, and um, things that have existed in the mm -hmm. past. I think also it's um, existed as an agent for change um, in many programs in the past. So we can look at, you know, the development of a vaccine, right? So there's a certain bias, right, for each person, right, or each, you know, identity in each country to be developing their own vaccine and to be promoting that, right? So yeah. that leads to competition, which is going to, mm. you know, end up leading to either a more efficacious yeah. vaccine or a speedy process, right? You can look at, you know, all of these sort of races. It's a very Machiavellian, I guess, view, yeah. but, right, all these races in the past, right? So things like the race to complete the human genome mm. uh, project, right, yeah. which was a race between a government uh, enterprise and a private enterprise, and they ended up announcing it together, right? Uh, the space race, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So all of these kinds of things led to, I think, progress and development 
um, and took advantage of bias in that way just as an agent for change. Mm, I like how you're saying that agent for change. I think you were talking about that earlier about motivator, being Mm. a motivator for um, that pursuit of knowledge, whatever it might be. In some ways, it's very capitalistic, kind of what you're talking about. All of these individual individual scientists kind of pursuing their own, you know, fame or glory or fortune or even just, you know, the kind of the, the, I got there first with this idea, their their Mm. commitment to their idea. And, and, And it um, maybe take it in a slightly different direction, but you know, if we're thinking about capitalism, right? Capitalism can probably work as an economic system. It's going to have some upsides and some downsides, right? Um, and that might be a way to run your society. If we contrast that with another system, for example, communism, that might work as a society. It'll have some upsides and some downsides, but it might work. What's the one thing you shouldn't do, though, if you want to have a successful society? Flip backwards and forwards between the two. Because if you spend 10 years kind of pursuing a capitalist agenda, and then 10 years a, a different one, and then 10 years back, so sometimes, actually, one of the advantages of bias, like this kind of almost unquestioning commitment to things, mm. is it prevents that flip-flopping that can actually stop you kind of making some progress, right? Well, it's, it's identity forming. To, yeah, right? well, mm. yeah. And, but sometimes you just need to commit. Like a, a Jordan, Mr. West Pratt, right? He makes... He, he sort of, he actually has this, I think, uh, comment about IA writing, or maybe it's TOK essay writing, but he basically says, the, it's TOK essays because you get choice of six, right? Mm-hmm. The worst thing you can do is choose question one, spend three or four weeks working on question one, and then go, oh, no, it's too hard. I'll switch to question two. <laughs> and then spend two or three weeks working on that, and then go, oh, no, that's too hard. I'm going to have a question three, right? He says, you know, basically what you do is you climb half a mountain, and you go back down, and you start again. You climb another half of a mountain. You do that three or four times. You've actually climbed two or three mountains, but you've never got to the top. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that bias can do is give you the kind of commitment to Mm -hmm. finish something, Mm -hmm. stick with it despite the problems, because otherwise (laughs) you just keep flip-flopping back and forth between various different things. So that's almost a second role. So we've talked about like the role of bias as like a motivator, Mm. perhaps also as a focuser, like in the sense of creating unquestioning commitment, as you've said. Yeah. Um, third role then is the framework, providing a lens. Yeah. So, so one of the things I think that Rachel said was that you know you know you just focus on just the facts, right? And from a postmodern perspective, there's no such thing as just the facts, right? Mm. The facts are always situated in some kind of framework which you yeah. use to make sense of them, mm. right? And you know you also spoke about controlling variables, and that makes sense. But the idea of variables being controlled and, you know, the facts, mm. it, we're also already making decisions about what variables are valid to be controlled. Yeah. So even I do a simple experiment, like I'm boiling water and I want to see how much energy I need to put in to break, bring it up by one degree in terms of temperature, I'm making a decision that the only really relevant facts or variables to take into account are the amount of energy in and the temperature of the water. I don't care what day of the week it is. I don't care what the emotions of the experimenters are. Mm. I don't care if they're in Europe or they're in Asia, right? All of those facts, and we've got good reasons for that, right? But we are Mm. making decisions about what does and doesn't count as something that should factor into our calculations, right? So when you say good decisions, right? So Mm. that's bias, right? Because obviously Mm. you're, you're... working off of a base of knowledge, right? Why wouldn't I examine why the day of the week might affect how the water boils, yeah. right? I'm curious and about Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, you know, it's... it's I, I think that aspect of making good decisions, mm. right? Deciding which variables to control and which ones not to. As you mentioned, that does include bias, but the bias has to be informed, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So not from perhaps um, uh, a, a knowledge that was assumed to be correct, but actually isn't, mm, mm, right? Mm. So you have to be sort of building off mm. of some kind of foundation. Mm. Um, and mm. ideally we want foundations to be as objective 
you know, as, as possible. Yeah. Hmm. Or do we? I wonder about that because I think in different areas we may want to be objective, whereas in other areas objectivity isn't necessarily the goal. I wonder about, like, I'm thinking always go to the arts when you talk about objectivity and subjectivity because <laughs> there's a role that subjectivity plays in the arts that is important um, towards understanding and developing truer and more deeper personalized meaning out of, um, you know, artworks or ex expression of an artist. So I wonder, just going back to what you said, if, if that um, objectivity is always the goal, how in the arts, if that's not the case, then how the role of bias in the arts might be quite different entirely. Maybe, Maybe it's just, even damaging. Oh, it could actually be, right? Yeah, and I think that, that touches on some of the damaging aspects of bias. Yeah. So why might we actually want to avoid bias? And what are some of those methods that um, science or literature might use in order to try to help avoid the negative role of bias. So I want to go to the people for a moment. Um, and I guess you can also talk about this in literature in terms mm -hmm. of authors, right? Um, but the identity of people um, and in, in terms of inclusion, one of the ways that bias has been very damaging is in excluding people, mm. right, from various fields. So for example, you know, women from certain fields within STEM um, historically have been excluded. And um, today you might have um, for academic journal submissions, right, for articles to be submitted, you might have blind submission policies, oh, sure. which then they say, okay, we're just looking for good science, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? However, you can also have the opposite movement um, sort of an affirmative action. If uh, you're not familiar with what affirmative action is, there are uh, policies that are often set up by various institutions to increase representation of groups. It might be gender, race, mm. creed, nationality that have been previously underrepresented, right? So sometimes there are these movements or affirmative action to include, um, let's say, we want to make sure that 40% of the articles published in this journal, or 50% ideally, right, mm. are from women, mm -hmm. right? Um, so if they do blind submission, and you're just looking for the good science, not to say that women aren't producing good science, they yeah. are, but it takes a while to get yeah, to that yeah, point, yeah, yeah. and maybe women have been disadvantaged um, from getting to the point of being able to produce a publishable, you know, good scientific article. Mm. And so then affirmative action can undo that, right? So they'll say, okay, no, we're going to look at the names to make sure that we yeah. include a certain percentage. Um, I don't know how that works today in the literature world uh, <laughs> in terms of publishing. But. Maybe maybe not so evident today, uh, but certainly, you know, still two, three, four hundred years ago, it's just as hard as just as hard uh, for women to break into literature uh, then as it was perhaps for women to break into science about a hundred years ago. Right. right? You know, mm -hmm. you think about all of the famous writers that you know about from you know the last four hundred years. It's it's not until probably the eighteen hundreds mm -hmm. that successful female authors really start to appear and Bronte and, and kind of uh, you know, George Eliot and people like that. You know, women had a terrible time breaking into the creative fields. And George Eliot is a is a woman, even though she uses a ma male pseudonym. Charlotte, Anne, and Emily Bronte had to pretend that they were male writers in order to have their work established, sorry, accepted uh, by the establishment. So, I, I mean, I think that's definitely there. To go back to your point, though, about the, one of the problems with bias, 
And the question doesn't really ask us to explore or spend too much time on it. But one of the problems with bias is, is that missing something, right? Mm. I mean, this, this, this great work might be done by a female scientist, but because you're not interested in female science or this particular country's work or X or Y or Z, you might miss it. And the same is basically true mm. of, you know, a great female poet or author or whatever it might be. And that's one of the dangers of uh, the mm. key cardinal danger, perhaps, of bias is the, is the missing something, the mm. overlooking it because you put it to one side and you don't think it's important. Mm -hmm. Building on your point, so about affirmative action, one of the positives of bias, but this time a positive bias in the favor of female scientists or black scientists or, or whatever it might be, is that the work produced by these scientists, which might be groundbreaking and, and sort of uh, paradigm shifting, will be noticed, right? Mm. If we are trying to publish 50% uh, of work from women, then the chances are that this female scientist's work, who we might have not not paid attention to will get noticed and will have some kind of revolutionary effect mm, right? right absolutely but with affirmative action policy people will say well why should you include something that might be of lesser quality just because you're trying to target certain groups now i don't think you should accept something that's of lesser quality right it's about trying to mine you know the submissions <laughs> to find you know to find those um new studies and those things that will be revolutionary but even if you do need to sometimes include things that might be slightly lower than the quality you would normally have, maybe it's a little bit of that kind of balancing out. You know, often in biology we talk about homeostasis, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes we've gone to one extreme for so long in history that sometimes you might need to go to the other extreme a little bit just to, you know, to get that balance out. And to go back to Wikipedia, for example, I feel like this is the way Wikipedia operates, right? So Wikipedia can be very biased. Hopefully, if you look at Wikipedia overall, right, the history of it and all the different articles, it's not biased, mm -hmm. right? Because it's kind of balanced out. But if you take any, any one snapshot in time, a Wikipedia article might be biased until somebody else comes mm -hmm. and then fixes some inaccuracy, right? Mm -hmm. Or Finally. Yeah, while you're on the topic of Wikipedia, actually, they did start a project, Wikipedia itself, to um, highlight uh, women scientists. Um, and so this was, this was very interesting because they, they did a sort of meta-study mm -hmm. on what were all the you know, entries on yeah. scientists in Wikipedia. So they are um, actively pursuing that. You know, going back to your point, it's a bit of a false dichotomy to say, well, why would you choose kind of the, the sort of female work if that's going to be of poorer quality? Obviously, it's not usually that, that black and white of a trade-off, right? But the, the point you're making is that there's some of these structural biases in the system of science, exactly. for example, like mm -hmm. we talk about uh, institutionalized racism in the United States at the moment, right? There are these structural biases that encourage women away from science in high school, which means that women don't go into science so much at university, which means there's less kind of masters and PhDs in science. From So, you know, all of that is going to take a while to address. The long-term goal is presumably a kind of a balance or inequality, and we have to suffer a short-term inequality yeah, to get yeah. there. And, and the bias enables us to address that and make for, not necessarily in terms of knowledge itself, but at least a more inclusive mm. science or, or yeah. kind of arts world. I'm going to argue both sides, mm. right? It could also be because all those barriers were there, right? That the female scientists who got to a certain point, mm. right, are of such, you know, much better yeah, quality, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they had to jump all those hoops. They yeah. had to be passionate. They had yeah. to be, you know, they have to prove themselves sometimes so much more than mm -hmm. um, what other scientists. So that's a really interesting yeah. example of the positive effect of bias, yeah. right? A bias against you, mm. even though it might be unethical and wrong and immoral, might actually encourage you to jump really high. Exactly. It's the the really competition hard. factor. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that can be positive. Yeah. 
go back slightly to a point you made. You were talking about arts, right? And the idea that perhaps bias has a different role in art, so because mm. of the objective-subjective distinction. Similar sort of uh, question about ethics, I think. And, and one of the things I think about ethics that's really interesting is, you know, what's the objective foundation for ethical judgment? I mean, at least in the arts, right, mm. we've got you know, some words on a page which are there and do perhaps mean certain things, or a painting has got some colours on the canvas which, you know, it is this colour and perhaps it means these certain things. With ethics, you know, what's the objective basis? And, and you know, there's different ethical theories and different ways of looking at the world, but if we take something like the, the, the Convention on Human Rights, right, mm. is that really true? Is there an objective basis for it? Or does it work? just mm. because we commit to it, yeah. right? And it may well be that our ethical systems, right, that they only really have meaning, they're only really worthwhile mm. when we commit to them, mm. even though we have no real objective basis for it, right? It's just a bias, and that's not a bad thing, because if you, if you don't, you know, in, in science, the foundation is some facts, some things we can observe about the world and we can build up from there. Maybe we get it wrong, we knock our building down, we build up again, right? But the foundation is there in terms of facts, perhaps. In art, the text is there, right? We interpret mm. it, we build up. Okay, maybe we get it wrong, we, we knock our building down and we start again. But the foundation is there. Mm. Is there a foundation in <laughs> ethics, right? Um, and maybe there is, and we could argue perhaps that, you know, like biologically, there's, there's a kind of a, a reason why we might cooperate and altruistic behaviors mm. observed, observed sorry, in a variety of animals. But if there's no real basis for uh, ethical knowledge, right, then mm. you have to create the basis and you have to commit to that basis, mm. right? And you have to believe in it just because you've got to start somewhere and then you can build up. Well, I think in summary, I think a lot of these processes mm. sound like they're just very dynamic. Right, because when you talk about ethics, ultimately you're also talking about the consequences mm. of whatever action it is, which might harm somebody else, mm. right? But who it harms and whether people feel harmed is also relative, mm. right? So you're gonna mm. constantly have to sense that. And it's such a dynamic system because you have to wait for the response, mm. right? And then the response from you know certain groups or underrepresented groups or groups that might feel harmed or um, excluded, right, then you're going to have to adjust mm. your ethical principles, if you want to mm. say, to include um, or to keep modifying. Mm. But I'm interested, I mean, like, let's imagine we want to punish someone for, for uh, discriminating against a, a particular marginalized group, right? We can't even start having that conversation unless we agree in some ways that that kind of behavior is not all right, right? Yeah. And, and even if that other person doesn't agree, right, um, we still probably have to commit to that set of values to get that conversation started. Mm. Actually reminds me a little bit of maths as well, the idea <laughs> that you have to commit to something at the basis to give yourself a foundation that you can build up from. Yeah, consistency. Just the framework right. itself. And, and yeah. you know, if we think about, uh, you know, there's different kinds of, man, you know, like we talk about axioms and different axiomatic systems. We talk about hyperbolic geometry versus and, and non-Euclidean geometries versus Euclidean geometry. All of those systems which are created by assuming different fundamental axioms at the basis of maths. Are those sets of axioms right or wrong? I'm not even sure that's something you can ask, but it's mm. just the, the, the set of axioms we've adopted. Got or to start in fact, somewhere. even yeah. simpler, a game. When you score a goal in football or, or you know, uh, a point in volleyball or, or netball, right? There's no objective basis for that. Like, what is it that means that kicking a, a ball between two posts into a net is a goal? Mm. It, nothing means that. Mm. The only thing that gives it meaning is our commitment to that belief. 
our decision as a group of players who are all playing the same game mm. that that's what a goal is. And when a goal happens, we give one point to one side and we go back to the centre and we start again, right? Mm. You know, that, there's no objective basis for that other than our, our commitment to it, our bias to it, our shared inclination towards it. Mm. In some ways, maths is like that. And I think some ways in ethics is like that as well. But I, th- I think you, you are correct in saying that you have to have a consistent approach and stick with it. Um, on the other hand... After, I think you need constant checkpoints for reflection, right? Because you need to be able, as you say, to sort of dismantle and start from scratch, yeah. right? So, for example, um, you know, Einstein's, um, Einstein is famous for one of his mistakes called the cosmological constant, oh, right? Yeah. Which um, he forced into, right, his, yeah. you know, his um, uh, theory of general relativity into a formula just to make it work. Yeah. Later, right, that was all based on the fact that the universe is constant, yeah. right? Once we had more evidence for the Big Bang, right, this had this was completely, yeah. you know, undone. So we need to be able to not get too wrapped up in our ideas. And I think that's also sometimes mm. the key. You know, getting wrapped up in idea is a great way to approach something and yeah. to be a critical thinker. But we also need to be able to find those points to step back yeah. and, mm. you know, and re-examine and reflect. This just simply goes back to that idea that... Um, we need to be conscious of that bias. We need to be take moments to pause and reflect on the bias itself so that, and what it is doing within whatever area that we're looking at. So when you say to take steps, I think the first step mm. would be to examine what our unconscious biases are, right? Mm. So, you know, Harvard has this famous, mm. um, you know, implicit yeah, association yeah, yeah, yeah. task, and mm. you can look it up. These are free uh, surveys online. Uh, we started a study last year, and hopefully we'll continue it this year um, with, with, the, with the grade level looking at um, some gender issues with implicit association tasks. And sometimes they're just these fast tasks. So you don't have enough time to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're meant to uncover these unconscious biases. Um, so I think it's important for each person to know themselves a little bit, you know, what their own biases are and, mm. and to acknowledge and recognize, you know, you say, that's the way I grew up. This is the environment I grew up in. And it's okay to start with this, right? But mm. then to understand how it can be used for good or for bad. Mm. Uh, yeah, and the, therefore kind of bias and the role that it plays in prompting reflection, I think, is really yeah. key, yeah. right? In, in terms of personal development, yeah. but perhaps also in terms of the development of knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. This is what we want to uh. try and come back to in terms of TRK. Yeah, and so that reflective quality, like that prompt of reflection, perhaps is that then um, chance to shift paradigms. That's maybe perhaps when we know it's time to tear these buildings down mm. or it's time, you know, we're actually on the right path. Let's carry on. And to go back to the game analogy, like you don't want to do that in the middle of your game of football, right? Right. Okay? Because then you can't <laughs> play your game. Pause and <laughs> yeah, think about, why is the goal right there? Let's move the goal. <laughs> but you know, at certain points, you know, usually when you're not playing football anymore, you might get down and go, is that the best way to play football? Would it be more fun? Would it be more competitive? Would it be more Let's engaging? use our hands. If we use our hands and then we invent yeah. another game or yeah, we true. change the rules a little bit. Or whatever, and right? this is also the truth is this is when you talk about experimentation, mm. right? You know, in terms of um, data science, you're always starting with a hypothesis, mm. right? Again, which is built on previous huh. knowledge, but you're starting with some goal in mind, yeah. Yeah. right? Um, and then the processes that at the end, and that checkpoint is in there, right? Yeah. When you come to the evaluation to check out, okay, does the data support? this hypothesis, right, or the goal mm. that I was thinking of? And if not, sometimes we need to move that goal, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Mm. Right, you guys, thank you so much for your time. <laughs> I feel like we could talk about this all day. <laughs> thank you so much for your time, well, both thank of you. you very yeah, thank us. you very much. Right. It's a great conversation. Wow, so that was really a fantastic discussion. I enjoyed very much. 
Seems like we've identified several positive roles that bias might play, including being a motivator or an agent for change, as well as a lens or a framework in order to understand something. And finally, also a good prompt for reflection. Thank you so much for joining us today and please tune in again for another episode of Talk Talk. See you next time. Not so shy to forget the truth. Smallest things had saved him, so he thought, so he thought, wrote down thoughts. Epic of the moon